don't subscribe to the old school way, nor the new school way, only the optimal way. The 80-20 Baseball Experience with Coach Ball. All right, welcome everybody. This is Coach Bo with the 8020 Baseball Podcast. I am here with Coulter Bostic. Coulter, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be back, man. This is uh, this was a lot of la- fun last time, and hopefully we can keep diving into some fun subjects. Definitely. I'll tell you what, you bring a lot of energy. For those of you that maybe didn't catch, I believe it was episode 25, I had Coulter on, and he really crushed through some awesome stuff. Coulter is down in San Antonio. He has a great Twitter. If, you, if you're on Twitter, and most of you are, he's at, at maximized, at maximized underscore BSB, B as in boy, or I should say B as in baseball, S as in stolen base, and B as in baseball. So he's at maximized underscore BSB. Check him out. He's always putting out positive stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, I just like following you, Coulter, because of your positivity on there. And you're just, you know, you're not really a Pollyanna. You're really bringing the truth, but you're you're positive. And we need a lot of that. And uh, the website, maximizedpitching.com, the best way probably to get a hold of you would probably be on just DMing you on Twitter, right? Is, is that Absolutely, the best way? Absolutely, yeah. Twitter's definitely the primary platform. The website is more for kind of just a little bit of advertising whatnot, but I, I conduct most of the business and communications through Twitter. Okay. So I like to get that out there because when people hear and hear what you got to say coming up, they're going to be like, hey, how do I get in touch with this? Or how do I follow Coulter and whatnot? So we talked about the mental game the first time we, we you know, the last episode we got together, we kind of kind of got into it almost a little bit deeper unintentionally because we both had that common interest and, and, and we both see the value mm-hmm. of the mental game in baseball. We talked after the recording and we both agree like, hey, we got to give this give this more of a dialogue and, and explain some more things to the listeners, you listeners that are coaches, you parents, you players that are listening to this. Coulter really wanted to share some key information. That's the biggest game changer. Some of the biggest game changers when it comes to baseball, especially, you know, in today's era where you hear a lot about swings and launch angle and, and pitching mechanics, which is all really great stuff. But one of the biggest game changers, if not the biggest game changer, is the mental game. And so we wanted to hammer down today on the mental game. And I'm going to let Coulter take over here. We, first, we're going to start with the topic of hard and soft focus. And if you didn't listen, again, go back to episode 25. Coulter breaks down this a little bit. Now, I want to tell my listeners, I misunderstood Coulter. It was kind of my first time interviewing somebody. And I was getting a little bit worried that it wasn't recording. And I just talked with Coulter about this. I said, hey, I had nothing worse than doing a whole show and not recording it right. And I and, and I kind of lost sight of what Coulter was explaining on the hard and soft focus. And then I listened to the episode later and I'm like, oh, wow, he's really got some good stuff there. I misunderstood it. I want to bring it back and have you re-explain it and kind of dive into the hard and soft focus that players can have and even coaches, but mostly players can have to, to really elevate their game. Yeah. So just a very broad definition of hard and soft focus. Think about tunnel vision. If you're driving down the road and you're looking out the windshield, you see everything out and around you. That is essentially your soft focus. You're able to you're able to see all these details, but you're not really necessarily honing in on them. They're not distracting you. They're not grabbing you and forcing you to be present on just those sole details. You get the whole picture. Your hard focus is when you've got tunnel vision, when you can only see one thing ahead of you, your goal is only that target and nothing else around you 
is in your in your mind. You're you're turning off your self conscious uh, your subconscious to to anything else. You're focused on that one thing. When we talk about hard and soft focus, and when I'm talking about it with my athletes, there's a very wide range of how it applies. You can talk about it from the microscopic level in terms of exactly what you're thinking when you're on the mound. Like when you tow the rubber, you have a soft focus for a second, waiting and getting your sign and just relaxing. But then once you nod and once you're in agreement, your hard focus turns on because you're trying to execute that pitch. There's the hard and soft focus of the overall game in terms of what are we focusing on in our training as essentially, are we training as a holistic concept? That way our body is fully prepared and then our our hard focus is the skill specific things. Like there's all kinds of different concepts within that. You and I kind of got off on how there's the ground level and then there's the 30,000 square foot view of anything in this game. And hard and soft focus can really be applied to it all. And we, we've kind of went on on a tangent talking about Alan Jager and and mental game stuff and how there's the concept of flow, the flow state in athletics or in life in general. The idea that you have to be able to maneuver through things. It, it, you can't If you're rigid here and you're soft there, it's going to be hard to be agile when you're talking about the mental side. Your focus is very important. When I'm talking with when I'm talking with kids, and it does not matter what age group, like I actually had a conversation today with a, with a couple of boys saying, whenever that baseball is in your hand, and this does not mean any, I mean, this could mean in a practice situation, most definitely in a game uh, setting, whatever it may be, but whenever that baseball is in your hand, it is there for a purpose. If we have the ball in our hand and we don't have an understanding of our focus level, we are really wasting our own time. So for the example of what happened today, I had I had a couple boys just during the warm-up session. There was a couple balls that were errant and I asked them, I was like, guys, are you focused? And well, uh, no, not on that one. All right. Well, that one right there just cost you how many, how many seconds, how many minutes of your day? Well, I mean, it was inconsequential. It was one throw. No, it was not just one throw. It's a habit. It's something in your mind didn't take priority with that throw. If you're out here throwing a baseball, I want to get the best throws and I want to get the most mental work every single time you execute. If you take one or two off, what's to say that when you're in the middle of the game, you may not have that focus and you throw it. It doesn't go where you intend. It's right down the middle and someone hits a 450 foot moonshot off you. That is the implication of lack of focus. Focus doesn't have to be, oh, I have to throw this ball 90 miles an hour every single time and I have to hit the black. No, 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 no. It can be, hey, I've got the ball in my hand. I feel the seams. I want to try and make sure that I feel the release. I want to stay through it and I want to hit my target. I want to be very good with this throw and I want to be as good as I can on every single throw that I make today. That right there is a soft focus with a hard focus intent. Does that make sense right there? Yeah, I think you explained it nicely and kind of differentiated between intensity and focus are not necessarily the same things. And yes. You know what? It kind of, you know what, on a, kind of that, like you said, that 30,000 foot view of life, we all go through life and players, it doesn't matter how young you are listening to this or parents, you, you know, you, you're going to grasp this maybe a little more because your age, but life is, is relatively in, in perspective, let's keep it in perspective, relatively it's short. You know, even for somebody who lives 90 years, it goes fast. And so we don't want to waste time and waste minutes. And like you said, even wasting throws because you can never get that time back. And I think one of the best things at the end of your life to not have regrets or at the end of your career to not have regrets is to, is to know you didn't waste any time. Whether that was doing the exact right thing or the right technique, probably not always is that going to be the case because you're learning along the way. 
and, and you don't always know all the answers, but that you're focused and that your your intent is right there in the moment and that you're not wasting opportunities like your example of not wasting throws. And I think that's super important though, just kind of keep in mind with in, in life in general, but it, yeah. as a baseball career, don't waste throws. Don't waste at bats. Don't waste practices. Don't waste the warm up routines. Don't waste any time out there. If you're out there on the field and you got the glove and the cleats on and you got the bat in your hand and you got your uniform on or your practice uniform on, then be here. Be where your feet are at. Be here. Mm-hmm. Be present. And you're going to have fewer regrets in life because you're in the moment. You're present. And then from there, you can make you can make better throws and you can adjust your process and things as you, as you go along. Is that is that kind of what you're you're thinking on your end as far as the hard and soft focus, but also kind of the bigger picture of let's not waste time so focus is really important yeah absolutely so what we talked about uh last time was we talked about how we have to make things kind of fun for the younger kids and making sure we don't burn out and do things like this hard and soft focus in that be where your feet are and using your time wisely that is it's such a hard concept to really grasp we like to generalize things when we're talking with players like oh if you want to be a major leaguer you have to work harder and work longer and work more than anyone else uh, in that you're uh, dealing with in essence maybe but not necessarily we try to push 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 because we want guys to be as good as they can be and we want them to strive to see how good they really can be in their own world but you don't get 24 hours a day of hard work and hard focus out of a kid it just you just can't do it kids have no to way. be kids athletes mm-hmm. athletes can't work every single hour of every day you can't you can't always be quote unquote productive in terms of training and development what you can do is when you have this window of opportunity to work and build Use it to the utmost of its potential. Don't let that opportunity go to waste. Don't spend your time not getting as good as you can be in that in that moment. If you if you get, let's say, I, I think pitching is a far more intricate process in my mind, just because I primarily deal with with pitching. I, I think hitting would make a much better example of this. So if you know that in a game you're going to at most maybe get four at bats. On average, you're going to get four at bats in a day, and you go in. And and you are sleepwalking through the first two at bats. What did, what did you accomplish? Yeah, you can you can hit home runs in your last two at bats, and that's great. You can call it a great day. But what would have happened if you had gone in with really good focus and you were dialed in for those first two at bats, and you'd hit let's say two singles? Now, depending on where you are in the lineup, blah blah blah, could have done all these other things, but. You have these opportunities at your disposal. Why would you willingly or even without thought waste half of your opportunities just because you weren't focused? That's just in a game. If we're talking in practice, if you get let's say 40 hacks in batting practice, but 20 of them are terrible because you're just not focused or you're just kind of getting a little tired. Did you get better on the day with those 20 hacks or would it have been better to just only take your first 20 and then walk away? So making sure yeah. that making sure that the work you do is the best it can be, that's probably more valuable than trying to get more work in. It's not, <laughs> what is it? The the jet is, yeah, it was uh, Bruce Lee. The I'm not worried about the man that has 10,000 kicks. I'm worried about the guy that knows one kick and he's done it 10,000 times like that kind of thing that concept of getting really good at something yeah it has value but what if what if those 10,000 reps that that guy did were only five of them were uh, 5,000 of them were of any value is that really that good it really it's all subjective to the quality of focus during the execution 
quality of focus. That's key right there. What you said at the end just tied it all together so well there, Coulter, because you know you have all these things and, and I think everything you kind of laid out there, it really resonates and makes sense to the parents, the coaches, to the players that are listening. I think all of you listening are going, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Okay, but what is the root cause of it either going one way or the other of going to quality or to suboptimal and poor quality? And that's the focus. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of the hard, soft focus in, in that I think of these professional athletes and I was at, this was your Years ago, I went to a Chicago Bulls. Now, this will tell you how long ago it was. It was at the LA Sports Arena, which since has been torn down. Years ago, it was torn down. In fact, I believe they, the MLS, the LAFC soccer stadium, which is legit, is uh, is where it used to be. And I got to go. My aunt works for Boeing. I got to go underneath in the locker rooms. There was four locker rooms. They had a dinner for the Boeing people. My aunt took me. She got to bring one guest. And I'm, you know, I think at the time, 13, 14 years old. This is in the middle of Michael Jordan's heyday. This is in the middle of the NBA is just being massive. I was a huge NBA guy, huge baseball guy, huge probably was just sports 24-7. So I go underneath and we eat dinner in one of the, the locker rooms. There's four locker rooms. There's one on one end, one on the other, and there's two in the middle. And we're in one of the middle ones. And we're eating and it's a good spread, you know, and the Clipper girls come in and they give us a picture photo op and I'm like, you know, 14 and I'm getting this photo. That's cool, you know. But the coolest thing was I have, you know, a little bit of that sports mentality, like ADHD. Like I got to move. I got to be active. And I'm like, I can't sit in this chair for an hour and a half. I'm going to slide out the door and see what I see in the arena. Well, I come mm-hmm. out underneath the bleachers and I look to my left. It's Michael Jordan, Scotty, and Rodman right there. Like not even 50 feet from me. I would say probably 40 feet. To my right is the Clippers team and the Clippers are up to my right. And I don't remember then because back then the Clippers sucked. The joke was <laughs> are the Clippers even going to win 10 games this year? So you didn't really know any of them. The Lakers are so big. It kind of gave you enough to watch. And I was into the Dodgers and Angels. So I, I watched these guys. And my point is the story is pretty I thought it very interesting of their focus. These guys are laughing and joking back and forth to each other. To the, you know, here's MJ yelling. This is like my idol, and he's 40 feet. I'm the only guy out there, and security's not holding me back. This is before everything was all you know, security and and metal det- every metal detectors. And I'm just sitting there, a 14 year old going, I'm in the middle of these two guys just dribbling the ball, shooting the breeze, and they look like they're as loose and unfocused on the game as possible. Their focus was so soft. They were laughing, and then 15 minutes later. It's tip-off time. These guys look like they want to tear each other's head up. They are so intense. And Michael Jordan has that laser-like focus. I'm sitting in the front row next to Elgin Baylor, who is a Hall of Fame basketball. I get in the front row. I see right up close. I go, oh, that's not the same MJ that I just saw 15 minutes ago. That is, to me, is a really good example of the soft and hard focus, where they goofed around, they joked around underneath the bleachers. But when it was game time and those lights were on them, that focus was intense, for Mm -hmm. very intense for 48 minutes. You can pretty much pinpoint that with every professional athlete. That is that is one of the greatest defining qualities. How do you turn it off and how do you turn it on? Do you have the ability to do so? I, I, I think that's at the amateur level, that's one of the greatest struggles. I have a kid right now who is going to be a phenomenal athlete and I have no question about that. But today he went out and he was just not very good. And I get, I get a text message from his parents and they're like, well, it was just one of those days for him. And I was like, yeah, I mean, he didn't, he didn't turn it on. This is a kid that as a sophomore has been up to 93 miles an hour. He can live 89 to 91 with ease. He goes out today and he's 83, 84. And the parents said he was, he looked like he was asleep on the mound. And I, I know this kid, I know he wants to compete, but some days he just doesn't know how to turn that competitive focus on. And it bit him. It bit him very hard. But you go and watch professional athletes, you're saying, all right, it's game 158 out of 162. And these guys are out there like joking around and during 
MVP and having fun and just kind of playing toss. And then all of a sudden, game time, laser-like focus. Yeah, you've had a long season. You've had all this other stuff. But when it's time to perform, you know how to switch that flip in your brain and boom, it's time to focus for this short amount of period. And then we can back off. We can joke around in the dugout. But when it's back on the field and it's time to uh, do your job, you are laser-like. That is the great separator between amateurs and professional athletes. That is the great separator between professional and elite athletes. If you can't do that, you have all the talent in the world, but if you can't get that focus to do what you need to do, you will not sustain success in this game. Yep. And I think it's important listeners as you listen to Coulter break this down so well is that you don't misunderstand Coulter saying that you have to overthink. It's not focus is not about overthinking. It's about being present and focused on the process and and going and and just being there and, and being athletic. If anything, it means not letting your mind wander off and get kind of lazy and go through the motions and throw three or four throws in your throwing program while you're thinking about your girlfriend or thinking about the test that's coming tomorrow or thinking about something else. You got that hard focus while you got the ball in your hand. And so I read a book recently from a guy, Brendan Bouchard. Brendan Bouchard is from... He's actually from Butte, Montana, where I spent, and I told you this when we first when we first talked, I used to go to the Butte Copper Kings games. I spent all my summers up until 18 in Butte, Montana, and mm-hmm. he's actually from Butte, Montana. So is Evil Knievel, by the way. And you know who also is from Butte, Montana, is Ed Sheff. Ed Sheff's a Hall of Fame coach, one of the greatest college baseball coaches uh, of all time. Lewis and Clark and, uh, State University. Lewis and Clark's, yep, yep. So Ed Sheff's a Butte guy, too. So I was reading this book, Brendan Bouchard. He's a well-known speaker now and, and, and author, and he used, and I want to tie this in with Hard and focus and then give me your thoughts. He talked about having triggers during your day. So for example, he would, if you walked into the restroom or he would, this would be a trigger or he would walk through his front door. This would be a trigger to develop a better habit, basically to kind of draw his focus back in. When he got into his car, it would kind of be a trigger to start working and building a better habit. And and it all worked around focus. Now, let me give you a baseball thing. I just thought of when you were talking about this. I I don't think it's arguable that focus is, it's not easy for for anybody to, to maintain a a good quality focus all day long. I just, maybe if you're a monk and you study Zen Buddha and you're a Zen Buddhist monk and that's all you do because you're awesome at it and you're a professional at staying in the moment. But for most of us, it's hard to stay focused for more than a few minutes or an hour, definitely as a game, as young teenagers and stuff like that, where you know their thoughts are in a lot of places. So trying to honing that focus is not really realistic. How about for pitchers when they get out to the mound, maybe when they cross the foul line, maybe when they get the ball in their hand. You said ball in the hand. I like that because maybe when the pitcher gets the ball, then it's I'm, I'm locked in mode. How about a batter gets the bat <laughs> uh, in his hand? Yeah, well, go, so yeah, yeah, add to that. I've got a, I've got a couple little cute like little tricks or I guess I guess cues that we would use is there's once again there's hard and soft focus within this. So I like to have guys use breathing as a focal mechanism to get them kind of more locked in. We talk about breathing in energy, blowing out energy. When they're standing on the mound and they're getting their sign, yeah, the ball's in their hand, but they're not they're not getting ready to execute. They're just kind of fiddling with the grip or whatever, but their breathing is what's kind of harnessing them. It's interconnecting all of their systems, their brain, their feeling, everything. <sighs> hearing that audible exhale saying, okay, I'm ready to go. And then as they're going through, like either in their leg lift or going through the beginning stages of their delivery, I talk about as we breathe in the energy, it really, as we're loading up, we're holding it all in. And then we blow it all out as we try to execute through. That's a way to to combine the mind and the body just in terms of just having one thing to think about. If I'm breathing, I'm executing. And then, yeah, when the ball is in the hand, if, if I'm standing there fiddling with the grip, that's my 
soft focus. I nod, I get my sign. And then right when I take that breath, I feel my fingertips on the ball. This is my job. This is what I have to execute and I go for it. I like that. The ball is in the hand. You're still soft focused. Take the breath, get that grip for whatever pitch. And that's when it comes together. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I really like what you said about the breathing because the breathing is the ultimate anchor to the moment, to the present moment. Mm -hmm. And if you can add breathing into your game, not just as a, as a tension thing. I know it's been big over the years in baseball as a tension reducer. And that's awesome because muscles that are tense are not nearly as effective as muscles that are loose. But the breathing, I love how you you tied the breathing in with kind of the transition from soft to hard focus. So the listeners listening, you can tie in breathing how about different things work for different players when they have the ball in their hand? Maybe some players want to have the focus the minute they cross the foul line or the minute they mm-hmm. leave the dugout. But some of your pitchers, some of your players might be a little more ADHD or a little more, you know, their little their tensions a little more scattered. And maybe you're a little more realistic. Like Coulter, perfect example or a perfect kind of suggestion was for those players is, hey, you know, hey, you're on the mound. Okay, you got the ball. You're kind of spinning it. You're just. But once you get the sign, you take the breath. So I, I like how you gave another example. So what would be maybe another example of this? And I think it's important that we, we give examples to these coaches and these players that they can go out and use right away. I know you've studied the mental game a long time. I've studied a long time. But sometimes players just want some actionable stuff right away. And then they'll mm-hmm. understand as they go through it themselves. They'll kind of learn the process as they go through it. So do you have anything else like another example that you might use with players to kind of hone in and, and kind of iron out and kind of improve that hard and soft focus? Well, I'll issue a warning first. You want to be you want to be careful about having too many different things that you try and use to cue yourself as a focus because then what you start doing is you start developing ritualistic things or you start developing like unconscious superstitions and like, oh, I have to do this and I have to do this and then I have to do this to be able to be able to pitch. Then all of a sudden, if that's what you do and something goes awry and you didn't do something, it kind of messes with your mind. So I try to tell my guys to be as simple as possible. If you yes. can simplify- hey, I'm gonna jump- Coulter, let me jump in real quick on that. But the whole ritualistic superstition, I just read about this. And I just finished reading the book, The Stillness is the Key. Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. And he talks yes. about athletes. He goes, he was talking about athletes love their routine to be so regimented, like up to three hours before the game to the minute. And, and I've always thought like, I remember Kershaw talking about this. And I sat there up close and watched Clay Kershaw. And every literally 30 seconds is scripted out. He knows exactly what he's going to do at 647 on a game night and where he's going to be and how far he's going to be on his catch play. And I thought, ooh, I like routine. I thought maybe that doesn't work for everybody. So that's kind of what you're saying there, right? What I'll say to that is, all right, you have a game that starts at 7.05 and you have your routine mapped out. What happens at 6.45 and you start getting a lightning delay? Mm -hmm. Like if that lightning delay completely disrupts your ability to go through your process, does that affect your ability to go out and perform? Now, for a guy like Kershaw, no, it doesn't. He he can just go ahead and lock in and do his own thing. It's it's more of a comfort, not necessarily a crutch. That's the difference between the professional and the amateur is, do you understand that your process is building you a comfort zone, but you have flexibility within it? Or are you relying on something that necessarily doesn't have a true impact, but because you had success one time, you feel like you're going to have success because of it the next? Is it really preparing you or is it pampering you there's there's two big differences between that when you when you're developing something that's going to help you focus or help you get locked in i think simplicity is the greatest thing 
And simplicity can be like, yeah, I feel really good about it. But one thing I have to do, if I don't get to do anything else beyond just like I have to rush and warm up and do this, if I can just uh, step on the mound, close my eyes and take one good breath and then open my eyes again, I'm good to go. If I can just retreat, relax, clear the mechanism and go. (laughs) Honestly, God. If no one has, if any of your listeners have not watched For Love of the Game, that is literally the greatest movie I've ever seen in terms of a pitcher's mental ability. Just, all right, it's my time to work, clear the mechanism, go to work. Yeah, that's a great movie. And if you haven't seen that movie and you you play baseball, if you haven't seen it, you got to go watch that. I would recommend watching it a few times, maybe at the beginning of every season. That's a great, (laughs) that's a great example, Coulter, of exactly what we're talking about. And not only that, it's an enjoyable movie. Kevin Costner does a great great job, especially with those baseball movies. I highly recommend that. And in fact, I have it on, I think on my website, I, I have it as one of my movie recommendations for coaches and players. I want to touch on something here you talked about that I think is so important. It's not about, and this is something that in fact, the Ryan Holiday, who's kind of a well-known guy, he's come along lately. Although a lot of the stuff he's talking about is really just old stuff or even ancient wisdom, and he admits that. But he's packaging it in a contemporary kind of dialogue and message, and I think that's really great. And one thing mm-hmm. he talked about towards the end of the book, he was talking about the busybody, working more hours, working more hours, working more hours. So in baseball, practicing more hours, practicing more hours. And that mm-hmm. the law of diminishing return comes back and bites you. It comes back and gets you. And eventually it'll either collapse your career or it'll lead to injuries. He, sp- he specifically brought that up in the book, players that over-practiced and, and then caused issues with their body, but just the mental side of it. And also just the whole idea, the principle of law of diminishing return. And so mm-hmm. I like to look at it like this, Coulter. Put a cap on your practice hours. Put a cap on your practice hours. If it's youth, maybe two hours. I I recommend high school, no more than three. Personally, I think, you know, two two and a half, 245. Spent a lot of years coaching different levels. And then what I say is put the cap on the hours and then tell yourself, let's make the most of that time rather than how much time can we work? Hey, we're going to practice from two, if you're high school, maybe from two to 430 or two to 445. And it's a drop dead. We're done. And what it does is it forces you not to waste throws, not to waste drills, not to waste time messing around. It really keeps your focus going. And I kind of equate it to life. Somebody goes, well, I, I hear this all the time. Well, I, I just want to make this much money. You know, I just want to have this kind of income or that. And I think that actually the question you need to ask yourself is how many hours can you, are you willing to work each day and sacrifice from your family and your health and your sleep and things like that? How many hours do you have that you can allocate to quality work? And then write that down, whether it's a daily account or whether it's a weekly count, and then that's your cap. And then your statement to yourself is, all right, how much of an impact can I make in this 37 hours? How much can I make in this 43 hour? How much How much of an impact on the world? How much income can I make in 26 hours? So you set a bar, you go, okay, I got X amount, I got six hours a day I want to commit, or eight hours or nine hours Monday through Thursday, or whatever it is. And, and I think in life, that's the question. It's not like, oh, I want to make this much. It, now your job may, you know, I know if you have a salary position, that kind of starts, but maybe you look for salary positions that are fit into that. And I think with practice time, it's the same thing. Coaches should not look at all the things we need to cover and go, okay, then lay it out and how long we should spend on it. They should say, this is our defined practice time. And then we're not going past that. How can we make the most out of that within those parameters? 
What are your thoughts on that? Ooh, there's a lot to go from there. I think that it really comes down to how well do you know yourself rather than putting a, like what, rather than trying to put constraints or putting a destination to it is how well can you manage one certain thing? So like when I'm, when I'm working with my guys, we do a lot of group training sessions and whatnot. I don't, I have never once looked at my, at my watch or my phone to tell me, Hey, my hour is up. We've gotten to the point where I have one thing I want to accomplish, or I have a couple of different things that I want to accomplish on an individual basis with guys. And as we go through and they're getting it, if once they've got it, we move on. If we still need to put a little bit extra time there, we do. But it's not a matter of finding that time constraint. It's did we get it done? And then once we're done, do we feel like we need to move on? Or is that what we need to do for the day? So like when I tell my the families that I work with, like I'm not in this for the money. I'm in this to help the kid. So if I'm out there and we only get it for, if we only get one thing accomplished during the day, so long as he got that part accomplished, I feel that we can move on next time. If I'm sitting there saying, you have to be able to do this, 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 and this, and this, by the end of this practice, I'm probably doing that kid a disservice because there's no way he's absorbing every bit of it. If you take that to a 30,000 square foot view of life, I mean, you're talking about what can I say to make today a success? And if I can say that I knocked that out and I did the right thing and I did it well, I can move on to my next thing. If I'm sitting here telling myself I have to crunch and I have to get all these things done, I'm more or less going to bog myself down and then I'm going to feel like the day was a disappointment. Like I hope that I hope that kind of answers the question, but I feel like it's a matter of once again, it's quality over quantity. Did we get something done that is actionable and something that is going to stick or did we try to rush through and get all these things done and we half-assed it the entire way? Absolutely. Now, I think what you're talking about definitely relates and works would work better on the individual level rather than maybe a team level, but I think mm-hmm. it can definitely work on the team level. What what you're saying, and I love how you kind of have, there's two different ways of looking at it. You can you could put a hard cap on time and just get efficient. And then you also, you're, you're saying our goal is to get X done, this movement perfected, or this strategy perfected, or, or a tighter spin on a break, or this, or whatever it is that you're trying to assess and improve whatever aspect of the game. You're saying we're going to work until we get that done. And what I love about that, Coulter, is that I love about how you brought that up because it starts putting first things first. One thing I'm going to say with that, you have to know, I'm going to say this just because, hey, trying to be fully transparent. You're wise enough and you have the experience in baseball enough, Coulter, and have been in the game long enough to know where the priorities lie with coaching. So if you're just a parent out there and you're, you know, you work construction or you're a lawyer, teacher, and you just want to coach your your son or daughter's team, or you want to coach your son or daughter with a, a position, you're not necessarily going to know where to start first and what movement needs to be perfected in the order of the kinetic chain and the kinematic sequencing and all that. When you have the experience, and a lot of coaches listening to this do, you know what's a priority. You know what's more important than something else. For example, like hitting. When it comes to hitting, hitting a baseball, swinging, and making good contact is much more important, in my opinion, than learning how to sacrifice bunt. Pitching, you work on perfecting the fastball before maybe the command of the fastball. I love how you how you said that because that is really important. It's about finding the important thing and making sure that you get to that before you just skip ahead to something else and then leave that kind of half done or 
I'll admit from the from the team standpoint, yeah, if we're talking about we have to be able to as a team get these things done, then yeah, you have to you have to obviously manage your time in a different manner and you have to have a different approach. If we're talking individual development, then kind of like what I what I mentioned, like I want to I want to attack doing that which is a priority and getting it right and getting it so it sticks. That's more important than knocking out this entire checklist. So there's the over overview and then there's the individual view and being able to balance that as a coach is critical. I love it. And and so as a parent listening to this, they reach out to you and they say, hey, Coulter, what do we got to work on? They go to work with you and, and you can line it out for them. You could say, these are this is kind of the first you know steps. We're the, this is the order we're going to work through because I've assessed it. I'm looking at it and I've evaluated it and I go, you know, these are the first steps. And you know what, by the way, Coulter, you do a great job of that. When I'm seeing you post on Twitter and I see you talk about a specific move and then I see a tweet three days later or a week later go, this is what, remember what I talked about last week? This is what we've been working on for this last week. Here's the before and after. You, I can tell you are dialing in on that one thing rather than just saying, hey, we're going to go out and practice pitching with this individual, this player for an hour or two. You're saying, we're going to go out there. We're going to get better at this. Now, sure, there's darkness involved and you got to get home to your family and things like that. But your really main focus is not necessarily the time going on, the time duration of it, but that you're going to get this particular part of that player's game better because you know it's important. It's vital to move on to the next step. You do a tremendous job of that. And I highly recommend you, the great listeners of this 8020 Baseball podcast. Go to his, uh, go follow, if you're not already following, go follow Coulter at Maximized underscore BSB. And you'll see what I'm talking about on Twitter. He, he does a great job of that. I know you don't. You're posting different things. You have good content here. You'll have some thoughts. You'll show, you'll give praise to players. And then you also do these kind of before and after. So it's not the only thing you do. You have kind of a nice assortment of things you post on there, which is great to follow. So I think it's important though for listeners listening that they understand what Coulter is saying works. It works in a lot of ways. And then there's also sometimes that allocated, we have the field for two hours. A lot of times teams from the team perspective, and I know that's kind of a little bit different than what we were getting into right there. And, and, and listeners are going to be players. They're going to be parents or coaches of certain players. And then there's going to be parents and coaches of teens. So from a team perspective, I think it's important to say, hey, what can we get done within this time and then cap the time? If, mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's your field time or you have the batting cage for an hour and you only have X amount of time. But it all lies under focus, right? Having good quality focus, hard and soft focus, and then also being able to prioritize. And you do a great job, Coulter, of prioritizing the key movements. And that's something where if you're in the San Antonio area or you're just on Twitter, which is pretty much uh, most people, you need to get in contact with Coulter and just talk to him about how he can lay it out for you. So maybe you can do something remote and you can work with him as a remote thing or whatever you got. I just think that Mm -hmm. what you're saying, Coulter, makes perfect sense. I just want to be fully transparent with because you and I could talk baseball and we've been in the game probably a total of combined 60 years. I want to look at it like from somebody who's maybe played a little, but who, who, or a high school coach that, that did play some high school, but they haven't gone in deep. They're maybe teaching on the side. You and I are full time baseball guys. We're, mm-hmm. we're into this all day long and this is what we do. And so and we played and, and we have a deep experience. Is there anything I kinda, you want to? Well, yeah. I was going to say, I want, I want to go back to something you said kind of about even the social media thing. I would love to use my social media account as kind of an analogy for just my coaching style. And, and I, I feel like it would be a good way for a lot of coaches to approach things. I don't want to post something if it doesn't need to be posted. And I don't sit there telling myself, all right, I have to have a new post every single day. I have to, I have to come up with something to put out there every single day. That's because that's 
that's not realistic. If we're out there developing players, I don't need to change something every single day. I don't need to say, all right, today we're going to teach you a slider. Tomorrow we're going to teach you a knuckleball. There's no value in doing that. It's We address the things that we need to address when they become relevant, and we try to get better at them every single time that we do them. If I'm sitting there and I like, once again, back to the analogy, if, if I'm going to post something, like let's say it's a, a changeup grip, and I've got somebody that threw a really great changeup grip. I'm, I want to give them some praise. I want to show that we've been working on something, but then maybe a couple days later, if I'm going to post something, I'm going to talk a little bit more about in depth on what we're talking about with the changeup grip, why that was so good and why they executed it so well, more in depth, maybe with something. That's the same way with practice. Like today, we're going to focus on, on throwing changeups. Excellent. You guys threw a few. You, all right, we, we just played catch with it at 90 feet. We got the good feel for the arm speed. All right, let's pull the plug on it for the rest of the day. Let's not try to do more because maybe your arms are a little gassed or whatever it may be. Let's come back to it tomorrow or the next day and let's just refine a little bit. We don't need to sit there and go, all right, on to the next one or, hey, now we're going to do a different grip. All right. How about we work on the same thing, but in a different capacity, maybe a little bit of greater understanding. That way we can build layers of information as opposed to building masses of information on different subjects. Hopefully that analogy works, but that, that's kind of how I, how I process training and develop players. Yeah, you definitely don't throw out stuff just to throw out stuff. And, I, and that kind of leads me into just something I, I got to hit this. There is this uh, thing with social media, like you got to post to post to post. You got to post a certain amount. You got to post every day. You got to post this and you got to post. What I see is exactly what you're talking about. This coaches and parents that are listening to this players, there's so much massive information and it's more of a, I got to just keep my name on the front of your tweet, Twitter feed or on the top of your Facebook page feed. The trade-off is you're getting a lot of stuff that's just distracting you. And a lot of times you're getting so much information, you're, you don't even want paralysis by analysis. You got so much going on, you don't even know where to start that. And then you just say, screw it. Or worst case, you go down the wrong path. Instead of working maybe with the lower half as a pitcher, like you do so well to start, if those are where the, some of the issues are, are starting off, then they go off and start working on their grip and their stride and their hips and their legs and their, their torso posture and their kinematic sequencing from their feet and what their balance is terrible. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what grip you have. You're going to throw crappy pitches no matter what you do. I think it's important that we understand that, Coulter. I'm so glad you brought that up. The Twitter world and the Facebook, it's just out there. Everybody seems to want to, not everyone. I, let me take that back. I, I just went to my default you know, you, you know, we have these default phrases. There's a lot of, I got to fill my feed up. I got to fill my feed. It's just not the right thing to do. And if you're a coach that's got a Twitter account, do what Coulter does. If you got a Facebook account, just stick with the important stuff. And it doesn't always have to be like just the massive needle movers. It can be things that are just kind of a built, like you said, Coulter, you, you're taking something small and building on it, kind of a series of tweets, progression of tweets. And I think that's awesome how you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up because I've been meaning to kind of bring that up. I'm glad we could tie it in here. I, I look at that and I go, this coach is just throwing out stuff because they just need to feel like they're throwing stuff out or whatever reason. Mm -hmm. I haven't dug, dug into the whole psychology. I hope it's not just because they were told you need to post every day or twice a day. I just think what happens, like you said, it's, it's, a, it's not quality and it's a massive information. So take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. Go check Coulter out on uh, Twitter. You're going to see that it's, he does put, you do put good stuff out, but you're baseball all day long. You're not working another job and then doing baseball here. You're doing baseball pretty much as, as your full-time gig. You're there. You're, you're on podcasts in the evening. You're doing video conferencing. I see you, you know, you're posting video. You're out there on the field. So you're going to have a lot of cool stuff to post. You have good stuff that you can kind of build on. So I think what you're doing is great. It's not a matter, I guess, what I'm trying to say is it's not so 
much I'm saying coaches and people out there just try to avoid doing this or avoid trying to overly consume these people that are just pumping out stuff just to pump out stuff. That doesn't necessarily mean having a lot of stuff, the good stuff that, you know, like you have a lot of good stuff to put out there. So organic. Oh, that was the thing I was going to, the word you do it organically. When you post, I see it come organically versus artificially. It seems to me you're, you're organic. So you know, I know it's hard for some coaches or parents that don't know how to prioritize or to vet. And that's kind of what Coulter and I are trying to do here. We're trying to give you some information so you can better vet. And that's what I've done with my whole 80-20 baseball podcast is simply going, here are some things to look at. Here's kind of a better way I vetted, Coulter's vetted, and here we're bringing it to you in a more concise way. Although I told Coulter we try to keep it under an hour here. we get, I get, I'll get all fired up talking to you, Coulter. So maybe what we'll do on the next episode is get into uh, our mental toughness, mental fortitude, and how that impacts the development of players overall and also re- with recruiting, especially with the youth players. And we want to talk about mental toughness and mental fortitude, which ties in with focus, but it is definitely its own little category. I want to hit on that. Coulter, I got to invite you back, you know, maybe in a month or so, we'll get you back on here. Can I get you on air saying to committing to that? I got you now uh, on air, so can I get you to commit? Yeah, I, I think we can do that. I'm, I'd, I'd be absolutely honored to be able to get back on here and especially on that next subject. Just a little clarification, what we're talking about in terms yes. of the mental, the mental fortitude going forward, all these other aspects. It's just, it is really an extension of what we just talked about in terms of hard and soft focus, because you have to have plans, you have to have goals, you have to have a destination you're wanting to get to, but there's a lot of mental work that goes into accomplishing these goals. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of anger, emotions, elation, everything that comes in this game, both in game and away from from the field and being able to manage that kind of thing, that changes your whole experience of the game. And if you don't have a positive experience with the game, you have no reason to continue playing it. I love it. You know, I love how you talked about the kind of to summarize this episode as we wrap it up here. The operating, it seems to me kind of you, you want to have the players to have kind of an operating system rather than a solid operating system with a couple really key apps that they use. If we're talking like a phone analogy, rather than just a cluttery, crappy operating system. And then like, you know, you open their phone up and there's 17 screens of apps. And mm-hmm. what it sounds like with your focus and kind of the mental approach and routine and a regimen is to keep it simple. What I really love about that, Coulter, is you're saying like, hey, let's not even get so regimented in our routine for so long. Let's just have some simple routines, some simple triggers that'll bring us in, whether it's the breath or gripping the pitch, not necessarily having the ball in our hand. You've gotten even shorter amount of time that you got to keep your focus because focus tires. We all know that being seriously focused on anything, whether it's your job or at school, is you're going to get tired. You're going to get tired if you're focused. Your your, your mental energy is going to get fatigued. You're going to feel good. Focus is nice and it's pleasant. Being in the moment is the most awesome feeling, but it also is mentally draining uh, rather than sitting there and watching, you know, Netflix. And I like some Netflix shows, but I mean, if you're in a state of execution and action and focus, you're not going to be able to go for no 10 hours, you know? So I love how you'd say, hey, let's keep this simple and actionable and executable. If you want more examples of these, like I said, uh, direct message or just reach out to Coulter on Twitter and, and you can get more examples of that. I love how you're talking about focus. It's so important. Now, why do we spend this much time on focus. I believe the number one domino in life. And I just did a book review on another podcast on the power of now. The power of now is Eckhart Tolle. It's a, to me, it is the number one recommended book that I can recommend to anybody. Baseball, any book. And it doesn't talk about baseball, but it's just because of the, the power of being focused 
the power of being in the moment. And again, I love how you said it. it's not intensity and it's not overthinking. It's just, you know, having that ability to go from laughing, joking in the dugout to getting out on the mound and then dialed in or to going out at practice like your, your players were, I think you said it was today or the other day, they're out there and they were not focused during their throwing routine, their throwing program. And so they should have had, and, and maybe that's something you're working on them with. I'm sure you are. What's a step, maybe what's a trigger for them once they get on the line or once their partner's in front of them or once they set their feet or whatever it is, hey, boom, my focus, my intent is on getting better at whatever Coach Bostic is working with me on. Maybe you could sum up the hard and soft focus, any type, any loose ends. I think the most valuable thing that we can say about focus in general is understand the quality of your focus and how you apply it. You have to work on focus. You cannot just assume that when it's time to do something, you're going to be able to jump into that mindset. You have to train yourself to do so. You have to be in that position of, hey, every day that I'm at practice, when that ball's in my hand, I'm going to give it 100% of my focus. That way, when I'm in the game, I understand what it feels like to be focused with the ball in my hand. Every time I go through a rep, I'm going to go through my breathing. That way I understand when my heart rate's elevated, I still know what that breathing feels like and how to center myself. You absolutely cannot expect your body and your mind to focus at the highest level when the game is on the line and the adrenaline is pumping if you have not practiced it before. Being able to understand the quality of your focus, being able to practice being focused while working on your skill set and understanding what you're trying to do, I think that would be the most valuable valuable skill that we can impart on any athlete in any field, any walk of life is understanding quality of focus and how to do it. That way you build it as a part of your routine and as a part of your abilities, not just trying to find it when you need to find it. I love what you said there about building it into your practice, into your and build it, and, and practice focusing. Practice what we're talking about here, and, and that is the ability to get that focus dialed in. Because you know, unless you go out and practice it with intent, it's, it's going to be kind of absent-minded to it. You're not if you don't practice it, and definitely come game time, and definitely come high-pressure game time. You're not going to go to it. You're going to have so many other thoughts. And having an anchor with the breathing and having some of these things that kind of trigger you into the focus. I think that's super important. And I love how you said you got to practice it. I think you summed that up awesome. So I'm going to shut up right here, Coulter. I think you did a great job on that. Thank you so much. Uh, That's Coulter Bostic and at maximized underscore B as in baseball, S as in stolen base and B as in baseball. Thanks for coming on here and and, and sharing your your wisdom. And it's always nice to have native of Wyoming and and the Colorado area. I was just talking to my wife about going over to Yellowstone. I saw saw, uh, just on the news a a bear attacking a bison over there. And I said, and and, and the guy who videotaped it was, what's one of the other big cities? uh, When I say big, I got air quotes on that in Wyoming. Like like Jackson? It it wasn't Jackson. It was another one. It it was one. Anyways, he was from one of those big metropolises over there. And he had a video of it online. So I said, man. It's pretty, man, Coulter grew up in a tough neighborhood. You know, I used to coach, I used to teach it in uh, kids from Watts, but I don't know, man, you grew up around grizzly bears eating bison. So man, that's the guy you got. Hey, talk about mental fortitude and mental game. You know, Coulter, you're the guy to talk to on that. So, Hey, thank you so much. All jokes aside, Hey, this was a lot of fun and I look forward to having you come back and we'll break some more stuff down on this, this super vital topic, the mental game, the mental components of baseball. I appreciate it, man. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Coulter. Take care. This has been the 80-20 Baseball Experience. This is a really good team, and so you have to earn everything you have against them and take opportunities when they present themselves. Take it to the field. 